Good to see all of you as we've come together today for this time of worship. Um, lots of important announcements in your bulletin that I won't take time to read since it's there, but just a reminder regarding the uh, children's and adults' Bible studies that continue this evening. Um, also want to make you aware that now is Girl Scout cookie time, and we do have a group that meets with us here at our church. And so be on the lookout for Ellie Smith, Mallory Williams, Zoe or Kinsley Spearman, or Gabby Edwards, who may want to sell you some um, Girl Scout cookies. Um, and if you're buying, my favorite kind is, uh, no, never mind. <coughs> Let's see, what else is going on? Um, I believe Adam Wycliffe has an announcement to make. I'll invite him to come forward. As he's coming, let me say that one of our uh, folks uh, has a flat tire outside, some of our, um, one of our older couples, and if some of you can stay around and help me change a flat uh, when the preacher finally hushes, um, I would appreciate that help very much. We don't need them to try to do that. I had nothing to do with that flat tire. <laughs> I don't know why you brought that up right when I came up here. All right, good morning. Everybody's away, good. Um, hey, I just want to remind everyone of the fourth annual Cheerful Hearts Midwinter Dinner, the uh, cross-training Sunday school class. This is an event that we put together every year. I think just about everyone who's here shows up for that, so that's great. Um, it's going to be held this year on February 13th, which, guys, that's the day before Valentine's Day. So this is a really, really cheap way to get credit. Um, our tickets are $10, which, um, how many boxes of Thin Mints is that? I'm not sure, but that, yeah. Check on that. It's probably cheaper than, uh, than the uh, Girl Scout cookies, but get those and get tickets to the, to the dinner, and you cover all the major food groups. Um, our tickets, they are $10 per person. We sell them before and after both church services. Uh, our menu is a tossed salad, baked lasagna, bread, and dessert. Uh, we'll also have a silent and live auction where you can spend the rest of your money. Um, that's where my dad loses the rest of our uh, inheritance. And um, the money is to benefit, it's to benefit you, it's to benefit the church budget. So um, please do come, a nursery will be provided, and we hope to see you. So um, make sure when you walk out of here today, there will be a little table where you can go pick up tickets. All right, thanks. Katie, are you coming to make, okay, I thought you were. There's a, um, an error in the Tuesday schedule. The afternoon circle uh, is not going to be meeting this month. I believe that's because they are expected to be at the 11 o'clock meeting of all women. So uh, please make that note. I think I have some mission kids who are gonna come help me make this announcement really quick. If y'all wanna join me up here, you can. We have a, a ne our next mission, or our first mission for this year actually, is taking place next Sunday. And we wanted to ask for your support this morning and give you a chance to make a pledge for this mission. We have lots of mission kids. These are just a few of them. Um, but I thought you might like to see them this morning. You want to turn and face everybody? And help me tell um, our church congregation about our mission for next week. Okay, so it's next Sunday, February the 6th. And what are we going to be doing? Make a swish. It's called Make a Swish. And we, what are we supporting with this mission? A special school called, you remember? That's right, the School of the Deaf and Blind. And it's in Spartanburg, South Carolina. 
And this is a great school where lots of special kids um, attend some great programs. We supported them last year with the same mission, and it was such a success, we're going to do it again. So this morning, the kids are going to be passing out pledge cards. There's two different colors, but they're the same thing, so pink or green. And you can pledge per basket for what these kids can shoot in 60 seconds. Are y'all good basketball players? No? Some of them are really good. So there's a little note at the bottom about how many I estimate that these kids can make to help you make your pledge decision. So each kid, each of our mission kids gets one minute next Sunday afternoon in the gym to shoot as many baskets as they can. And we're asking you to make a pledge per basket um, that these kids make. And it should all be explained on this pledge sheet, but if you have questions, please feel free to ask. And any of you that can meet me in the back or at these side doors after the service will collect these after today's service, okay? Thank you so much for your support of this mission. You will note also in your bulletin that the first um, Wednesday of the new month is this coming Wednesday, believe it or not, uh, Groundhog Day. Um, and we will be having Wednesday night supper, a, a um, catered meal, honey mustard chicken, scalloped potatoes, coleslaw tea, and yellow cake, pizza for the kids, as well as activities. Hope we see you here on Wednesday nights, Wednesday night between 5.30 and 7 p.m. Let us begin our time together now in worship.
affirmation of faith is the Apostles' Creed. Let us unite in this historic confession of the faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. Third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and stood at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From this he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life of us. At this time, we invite the children to come forward to join Katie Jeter for a few moments of sharing. Good morning. We should have just stayed up here, huh? We're busy this morning. Our Bible verse, um, our scripture lesson that um, Arthur's going to talk about a little bit later on this morning comes out of Matthew. And I want to talk a little bit about that this morning in our children's sermon. Have you ever watched a bee buzzing around a flower? Have you ever seen a bee do that, kind of buzzing around? No? Maybe sometime you will. Um, if you have seen a bee buzzing around a flower... Do you think that bee is worried about anything? You think so? <laughs> about his honey. Well, maybe. But usually when I see bees buzzing around flowers, they seem pretty happy. They don't really seem to be worried about anything. Do you kind of think so? Yeah. Well, to me, he seems busy as a bee and happy as a bee can be. Well, if I were to ask you to tell me what would make you seem that way, just happy as you could be, what would that be? What makes you happy? Do what? Playing. Playing with Jack, puppy. What else? Maybe having a lot of friends. Maybe having a lot of money. What else? What makes you happy? Y'all are quiet this morning. Well, we all want to be happy, don't we? Yeah? Does it surprise you to know that God wants you to be happy? No, that doesn't really surprise me either. But we might be surprised to find out what Jesus said happiness can be for us. Most of us think that happiness is the things I just said, like having a lot of friends or being well-liked or having plenty to eat or maybe lots of money. But that isn't what Jesus said. One day, Jesus went up on the side of a mountain, and he sat down just like we are, and he gathered all of his disciples around him, and he started to teach them about happiness. Even though these are not the exact words that Jesus used, I think they help us understand what he taught that day. He said things like, be happy when you are poor in spirit, because then you will find that your riches of, in the kingdom are in heaven. 
Be happy when you feel you have lost what is most dear to you, because it is then that you will feel the love of the one who is most dear to you. Be happy with what you have, because then you will find that your heavenly Father provides everything you need. Be happy when you are caring for others, because it is in caring for others that you will find you have a heavenly Father who cares for you. Be happy when others treat you badly, because you follow me, your reward will be great in heaven. You see, happiness isn't a feeling brought about by the things that happen to us. It's an attitude that we have because of what is in our heart. We need to be like that bee, buzzing around happily through life because of what who did for us. Jesus, right. Will you pray with me? Close your eyes and pray with me. Dear Father, help us to have the happiness that you want for us. Happiness that comes not from what happens to us, but from what happens inside of us. Amen. Our Old Testament lesson is from Micah chapter 6, and I'm going to read verses 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before, before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Here ends the lesson. Our responsive reading is Psalm 15, found on page 747. I invite you to turn to that page and stand as you're able as we share God's word responsively. <clears throat> o Lord, who shall abide in your tent? Who shall dwell in your holy hill? Who does not slander with the tongue and does no evil to a friend, nor takes up reproach against a neighbor. Who does not put out money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent.
seated, please. Our epistle reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 31. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what uh, was preached to save those who believe. Jews demanded miraculous signs and Greeks looked for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Here ends the lesson. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. 
Let us join our hearts together in prayer. Lord, we are thankful that you have given us such wisdom through the teaching of your written word. We're thankful that we learn that even more important than attending to spiritual things like sacrifices, it's more important that we act in ways toward our fellow human beings that can be called just and fair and that you call us to walk about life extending your care and love and mercy to those that we meet. And then you invite us to humbly walk at your side. And we are thankful for this insight. Lord, we are so thankful that you welcome into your presence those that are poor, especially those of us who are poor spiritually, who know that we are in need of one to be our Savior, we thank you that you receive us and invite us into your kingdom. We're thankful, Lord, that when we go through times of mourning, we are promised that we will receive comfort, and you come to us time and time again as the great comforter to give us your loving care. Thank you for the promise, Lord, that we don't have to be the strongest and the bravest, but that as we walk humbly and meekly with you, you will give us all things. We're thankful for those times in our lives when we find ourselves starving for God, searching high and low, consumed with finding fellowship with Christians and with Almighty God. Those are special, special times in our lives. Thank you for filling us when we hunger like that. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would cause us to grow spiritually to where there is a constancy about our lives, a purity about us, so that people don't have to worry and wonder from day to day who we are, but that we are the same. Help us, Lord, to be like Jesus, who went everywhere making peace with all people. And bless us, Lord, when our stand for you makes us uncomfortable and makes others uncomfortable. And bless us and give us strength when we stand for your kingdom's goals, even when we are ridiculed, even when we are injured. And we're grateful, Lord, that Jesus lived out these wonderful principles and that he stood up for us when it meant taking our place in death and in hell. Thank you, Lord, for standing up for us. We pray in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. 
Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us now worship God by giving.
Here now again the scripture lesson, the Beatitudes from Matthew 5. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Here ends the lesson. Being somewhat of a punster, I played with the title of today's sermon. When I reread Jesus' Sermon on the Mountain, I was reminded just how elevated and lofty Jesus' words are and his ways too. They're so high up above the normal way that you and I live and behave. They lift us up from our lowly existence bidding us to live by a higher standard, to soar at a higher spiritual attitude than other people. And so I call the sermon the Beatitude, uh, the Beatitudes, in hopes that you will remember that these words call us upward to live above the impulses of our fallen human nature. Some years ago, Katie reminded me this morning, we, we did a Bible school. It's been so long ago, Katie would have been one of the children in the, the Sunday school we had back then. It was this lot, long time ago, um, called uh, uh, where we talked about the bee attitudes and the bumblebees were, were the, the mascots and themes. And I looked at Eric when she was talking about bees looking for honey, and I thought, well, Eric found his. But anyway... I was thinking about the bee attitudes um, that we did for the children way back in the dark ages. It's a, another good way for us to remember the ways of Jesus are the be like Jesus attitudes. Not only do the beatitudes give us a picture of how we should live, it also gives us a bit of a picture of Jesus' character and nature. And if you ever wonder what Jesus is like, just read the beatitudes. These were things he tried to live up to every day. One thing that I hope that you will notice is that the same sermon that Matthew says took place on a mountain, Luke reports that it was given in a flat place on a plain. And they differ slightly in their context as well as their location. I can very easily imagine that Jesus repeated this sermon numerous times as he went from place to place. After all, there were no digital recordings, recorders in those days, no daily newspapers. And so if Jesus wanted 
everyone to hear what he had to say, he had to repeat his ideas over and over again. So how did Matthew and the other disciples learn the words of this sermon so very well? Probably because they heard it over and over again. The preacher's kids that grew up in my house used to read church bulletins and see a familiar title and say, Oh, Daddy, you're not going to preach that sermon again, are you? And I always wanted to answer yes, and maybe this time you will listen to it. Um, some students of the Bible like to point out that, that Jesus on the mountain appears to, to look very much like Moses coming down from the mountain, uh, giving Ten Commandments to the people. Jesus was, in fact, giving new, uh, a new set of commandments, new laws for the new covenant. And we immediately notice a much loftier goal coming from Jesus than from Moses. Whereas Moses told people about all the things they must not do, <clears throat> Jesus told his followers about all the good things they could do, good attitudes that they could have. I suppose in some ways the faith community was like a little child. When we were toddlers, we heard lots of no, no, no's. But as the faith community matured, we began to receive more affirming words. When our daughter was about two years old, she was having a particularly hard day as a toddler. And so I said to her, what's the worst thing about being two years old? And she looked up at me and, and glared and said, no, 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 no. Um, that's the way we all start out. But Jesus comes along and his words are not no, no. They are more positive. And believe me, when a child reaches their teen years, you're a whole lot better off giving them lots of good things to do to keep them busy than you are standing over them telling them no. Jesus' be, Beatitudes are very positive things that we can do to keep busy so that we won't have much time to be tempted. Jesus begins each of his commandments with the word blessed. And it's interesting to note that the word blessed comes from a word that means consecrated by blood. And that's especially good for us to remember that it was the Savior who uttered these words. Some translations translate it, happy are you if you do this and so, or you are to be envied if these things are true about you. Jesus was sharing his secrets of how to be blessed and happy in life. He's also telling us the things that we should strive for and what a mature Christian should look like. You know how to judge a ripe watermelon. How do you know when a Christian begins to ripen? You're blessed, Jesus said, if in your ripening, your maturing, you recognize that you're poor in spirit. Poverty of spirit might mean that you are aware of the fact that you are spiritually needy, that you have many human perfections. That's a very blessed condition because only those who are aware of, of our need for God and for forgiveness will find God and pardon. Poverty of spirit leads us to humility, the rating of ourselves as less important, 
And that's truly a blessed condition because the opposite of that is pride, and we know that pride always precedes the fall. Those who are humbly generally have compassion on others because they can identify with the needy. Being poor in spirit will keep us depending upon God. The message translation of the Bible translates this verse, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God and his rule. Then Jesus declares mournfulness to be a blessed condition. How can that be? Mourning usually comes our way after we've lost someone very dear to us. But Jesus here might be talking about a deep level of sorrow that comes to us when we look back over our lives and grieve our many mistakes and when we grieve the mistakes of others. I guarantee you younger people that part of getting older is looking back all over your life and feeling some regret, seeing things you wish you'd done better. What is it about this kind of sorrow that is blessed? The Interpreter's Bible says that this kind of sorrow allows people to learn from their mistakes, to accept their mistakes with the resolve to learn and do better. And that is indeed a blessed kind of sorrow. For then we grow from our mistakes rather than just being defeated by them. Those who embrace that kind of mourning find that in the darkness you can even see some stars. You're blessed when you feel you're lost and you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. Then comes meekness. Most of us would not feel ourselves complimented if someone said, oh, you're a meek person. <clears throat> but it becomes more attractive when you compare it with its opposite, and that is a dominating, domineering person. Most often in church history and in human history, leaders have come to power ruling over others by taking charge and dominating. People around us try to bully us, don't they? They dominate us, try to, in our neighborhoods and in our places of work. Meek people are folks who don't allow people to run over them, but rather they are those who, through their patience and long-suffering, can outlast those who would run all over them. It's a determined uh, a determination to survive sometimes. Like Gandhi, meekness can defeat an occupying empire. Like Martin Luther King, the meek can change the world without bombs just by being persistent in their peace. Like Lech Walesa, the meek can bring down the communist government in Poland by just hanging on persistently. I had an algebra teacher back in the eighth grade who used to tell us not to be too proud when we made straight A's in algebra because, she said, you A students will find yourselves one day working for the C students. And that always made me wonder why I should work so hard for A's if that was true. But I guess she knew that C students have a way of surviving by being persistent, and I'm sure she was true. 
I like the way that the message expresses this beatitude. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you'll find yourself proud owner of everything that can't be bought. Regarding hungering and thirsting, Jesus said you're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. Hunger and thirst are very intense desires, desires you and I really can't make wait much longer. It is interesting that the requirement was not for righteousness itself, but just for the hunger for it, just for the desire. If we are hungry for God and for righteousness that he gives us through Christ, we are promised we'll be full. And so it is the hunger that is blessed. Then Jesus declared it to be a happy condition when we are full of mercy for others. My friends, there just isn't much mercy being passed out in our world today. Every one of us wants our rights. We all want justice. Nobody goes out into the world looking for a place to express mercy and how we need to do that. What would it be like if I expressed mercy toward that bad driver who almost caused me to have a wreck? That sure would be better than road rage. I had a church member over in uh, Rock Hill. His name was Jack. Jack had somehow achieved near perfection over his anger. He was almost perfect in his self-control. He told me he just decided one day to be rid of it, and he was. I was riding with him one day when he made a driving mistake, and the man in the car behind him raced around him real quickly while giving Jack a well-understood hand gesture. Jack said, Preacher, watch this. Jack pulled up beside the guy at the next red light and smiled at him and waved at him. The guy ignored us and then raced off on the next block. But we caught up with him at the next red light. Again, Jack smiled over at him and waved. At the third red light, the man smiled and waved back. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Let us make it our aim that we never miss a chance to show somebody mercy and grace, especially when it is not deserved. And by the way, by definition, mercy and grace is never deserved. The blessed condition of being pure in heart, now that one scares me just a little bit. Well, I'm not as scared of it as I used to be. You see, I used to understand it to mean a mind without any negative or evil thoughts. And that's just not happening with this sinner man. Even when I can control my actions and love my enemies, I just might, in the words of that old Kenny Rogers song, have someone chained to the wall in the dungeon of my mind. Jim Nates helped me understand what the scripture meant by purity of, of, uh, in your mind, purity of heart, when he reminded me of what is meant by the ter term pure. Pure means it's the same thing always. If you've got pure salt, no matter where you shake the shaker, you get salt. It never comes out as sand. It's always the same. 
Pure sugar is sugar at every level wherever you stick that scoop in that five-pound bag. It's the same wherever you dig out your spoonful. So purity of mind means to be single of purpose and single in mind. Folks know where you're coming from day by day. They don't have to worry that you'll be somebody different tomorrow than you are today because you've achieved a steady pace in your life. You're always the same. And for the Christian, it means that your consistent purpose is to follow Jesus and to do God's will. No matter where someone bumps into you, they'll always find somebody who's aiming for God's kingdom. One of the translations says that when your inside world, your heart and mind, get right with God, then you will be able to see God at work out in the outside world. One way to see God at work is through working for peace in the world. Peacemakers will be called sons and daughters of God. We disciples are to have a quality about our lives that makes for harmony and blessing. It is who we are more than what we do. The peace that we have on the inside is to spread to those around us on the outside. Well, once again, I'm in danger of making you lose the amazing race to the restaurant. And so I will bring this sermon to an abrupt halt by reading verses 10 through 12 as paraphrased by Gene Peterson. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourself blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer. For though they don't like it, do it. And I do. And all heaven applauds. And know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. Amen.